0: Chapter twenty six of Yesterday Framed in Today by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty six Smite the Shepherd, and the Sheep Shall Be Scattered. The first hint of a new morning was gathering in the eastern sky when David Holman was roused from sleep by the sound of footsteps. He had not gone regularly to bed, but had thrown himself ready dressed on the couch the day having been so entirely unlike any other in his history, it seemed fitting that the night also should be marked by the unusual. Moreover, a vague unrest, born, he told himself, of Philip's words, had possessed him. He had left his door unlocked, and had expected to watch for Philip's coming. He sprang up now to greet him but even the dim light in the room revealed a face so haggard, so full of misery, that he could only exclaim, "'What is it, Philip? What has happened?' There was no attempt at reply. Philip sank down on the foot of the couch a miserable heap, and buried his face in his hands. His friend bent over him anxiously, using the strongest incentive for speech that he could think of. "'What is it, Philip? Remember I, too, am anxious?' If you can speak, I know you will not keep me in suspense. Thus urged, Philip, without lifting his face, murmured, It is all over. He has been led away like a common criminal, followed by a mob. They are at this moment going through the farce of an examination. Do you need to be told what the verdict will be? David's face grew white, and his voice was husky. Are not his friends permitted to be with him? but that question seemed to open afresh the very floodgates of misery. Philip threw himself upon his face and groaned like one in mortal pain. David, bending over him, distressed beyond measure, could only wait for words. He has no friends, came at length from the prostrate form. We are all traitors. He is deserted. We, who have told him again and again that we would follow him even to death, and I meant it, oh, God, I meant it then, and I ran away and left him. You do not know what you are saying, Philip. The night has been too much for you. You could never desert a friend. David spoke as soothingly as he would to a child made insane with sorrow. He believed that Philip was in a delirium of fever, but his words seemed to rouse a perfect frenzy of remorse. I tell you, said philip sitting erect and glaring at him with wild eyes we have run away and left him to his enemies that wretch that traitor of whom i told you led the way to the grove where we were meeting and pointed him out and we every one ran cowards and traitors those are his friends all alike you suggested the thought yourself last night and here is the answer oh my god that i could have done it of all the mornings of his pain-filled life, that one stood out to David Holman afterwards as the most terrible. Knowing nothing of a certainty, with his heart torn by a hundred conflicting fears, he yet had to exert his utmost self-control, and stay by the side of this man whom he believed to be out of his mind. Something had undoubtedly occurred, something of so terrible a nature as to dethrone his poor friend's reason. To desert him now would be worse than cruelty. He must wait and minister to him as best he could. So it came to pass that the sun was hours high before the two men went forth together to watch that scene, which, because of its unparalleled horrors, makes the day stand out from all others in history. Through all the years it has refused to be described by human pen. The city was a throb, Apparently the rabble, so long dreaded by some, had taken possession, with no attempt on the part of the authorities to restrain them, the sort of rabble that thirsts for excitement and is willing to sacrifice anything or anybody in order to have its awful appetite gratified. The farce of a trial was carried out, with the inevitable verdict that could alone have been expected, save that the insane haste with which it was pushed and which seemed more like the haste of wild animals after their prey, than of men who were pretending to administer justice, appalled even some of those who had planned for this result. Through it all the calm, grave man stood among them as a king, sneered at, mocked at, struck at, even spit upon by brutal men in the jeering throng, his face never lost its dignity nor its calm the friends who had deserted him in a sudden and awful panic which they could neither explain nor understand rallied again and remained as close to him as the officials would permit and were as powerless to help him as was the dust under their feet as the hours passed the ever-increasing crowd seemed to grow more and more reckless some power was at work feeding their evil passions and there were those who had received blessings at that man's hands who shouted the loudest that he was a traitor worthy of death david holman as he looked on utterly powerless and utterly sick trembling in every nerve at thought of the possible end wondered in a bewildered way as one might wonder who did not belong to this human life at all whether philip was right and there was no one anywhere to trust in where for instance was god that this awful thing was allowed to be his lips would not have formed such words, but his poor brain, tottering on the very verge of insanity, seemed determined to push upon him the awful question. It took hours to realize the fact that they could actually mean to carry out the verdict pronounced after the most utter mockery of a trial that ever disgraced the world. When the terrible truth forced itself upon them that nothing was to be done to save their friend, they gathered, his immediate followers, in little horror-stricken groups with no words to speak. They were few in number, most of them poor, and they had no political influence whatever. Mr. Rothwell, it is true, was wealthy, and there were others who would have been glad to give money, but to what end? They recognized its powerlessness. Of what use to clamor for justice when it had been made glaringly apparent that justice was the thing to be avoided? With every passing hour the horror seemed to deepen, and yet these strange men, some of them, were upheld by an unreasoning hope that something would yet intervene to prevent the awful tragedy from reaching completion. What had become of the power which the man himself possessed? How certainly some of them knew that he possessed it! Could he not exercise it for his own preservation? If he could, would he?" The people, those dreadful people, whose friend he had been, evidently believed that he could not. They taunted him with it. You saved others, they said. Why don't you look out for yourself? If you can do that, we'll believe on you. They were answered only by dignified silence. Throughout the entire awful scene, that majestic calm that ought to have spoken to them of kingship never left him there came an hour when they sat his friends each wretched soul wherever he could find a spot alone with a misery too deep for human eyes to behold trying to teach his stunned heart that it was all over the friend helper healer the one on whom they had rested their hopes not alone for time was dead was buried wonderful beyond all understanding his life had been but it had ended like all lives the grave had closed over it. Their hopes were dead. At least some of them reached this last abyss of misery. David Holman, after all was over, spent some time in searching for his friend Philip. During those closing hours of horror he had simply forgotten his existence. Failing in the search, he went to his rooms almost indifferent. What were human friendships now? Late at night Philip came, and poor David, seeing in his face his greater misery, tried feebly to speak some word of relief. What was there that could be said? By degrees he heard something of those last hours they had spent together. Philip, who had resisted all invitations to lie down and take some rest, seemed to find relief in talking. "'Don't speak of sleep to me,' he said bitterly, I slept that night when I might have stayed awake and watched. Satan had possession of us all, and we were warned, David. He told us that very evening that one of us would before morning deny that we knew him. It was thus, in detached phrases, that David heard the story. Every word added to his bewilderment. They had been warned, those twelve friends, of a traitor in their midst. He had actually been pointed out to one of them, it had not been understood then, it was plain now. Bit by bit the events immediately to follow had been outlined for them, and they had been too stupid to look at the picture. Why did a man having such power allow such results? From time to time, as they occurred to him, David asked minor questions. What has become of that traitor? He killed himself, said Philip, and it is well he did, it does not seem as though the same world could have held us but what am i to say that he was only a degree or two beyond me hush said david sternly i will not hear you so malign yourself no deeper dyed villain ever walked the earth than that traitor there are degrees in vileness i suppose said philip gloomily but think of us curled into comfortable positions sleeping through those hours in which we were set to watch when I think of it all, I long to die. As for my friends, they will be justified in never wanting to hear my name again. David knew that he was thinking of Francis and essayed to speak a word of comfort. My poor friend, you are too hard upon yourself. You were utterly worn out that night. Remember, do you recall the two previous days and nights? No one will think it strange that you dropped asleep, nor that I ran said Philip in bitter self-scorn. I know of but one poor wretch who may possibly feel even worse than I. Three times he denied that he even knew his leader. But mine was only denial in another form. Don't, David, try to make me believe that I am other than the utterly cowardly worthless wretch that I am. I hate myself, and always shall. I do not know how to bear it. It was thus that they spent the night." The morning broke in gloom. The sky was overcast with leaden clouds. That was well. They would not have had the sunlight mock their pain. The city's excitement had spent itself, and everywhere quiet reigned. To those who had buried their hopes, the day seemed to stretch out endlessly. Philip refused almost fiercely to go to the church service. What was the church to him now? So David went alone, he felt that if Philip could be by himself, so that he could pray unobserved, he might get into a calmer mood. Also, he confessed to his heart an anxious desire to hear from the Rothwells, and find how they had borne the awful strain, as well as to learn what they thought would be the next page in their life's story. In the hall of the church, to his great astonishment, he met his sister Margaret. "'Don't be frightened.' she said, as she laid her hand on his arm. Nothing terrible has happened. I am here visiting Miriam. I came yesterday with Mrs. Brownlee and John. David, you look as though you had had a fit of sickness. Miriam wants to see you very much. I promised her I would ask you to call upon her this afternoon. Will you? I don't know, said David in apathetic tones. He had a feeling that it made little difference now what he did. "'Why don't you know?' questioned Margaret. "'She is very anxious. Are you ill, David? I never saw one change so much in so short a time. I suppose you have been living on your nerves for the past few days. It has certainly been a horrible time. I feel thankful that it is all over.' "'Don't,' said David sharply. "'Do not talk about that, Margaret. You do not understand.' if miriam has a special reason for wishing to see me i suppose i can call to-day but he made an abrupt pause he had been on the verge of saying that he had no desire to see her did he mean it he must not trust himself to further words i think i will call he said and went into the church the rothwells were in their seat and mr rothwell motioning him to a sitting with them asked if he would go home with them after service for an important talk then mrs simmons leaned forward and asked if that were not his sister in the brownlee pew and would he bring her out with him they would like to know her dear me said margaret when this word was passed to her after church who imagined that such an event would ever happen to me i believe i will go i have heard more about that wonderful sister and brother than i have about any other people in the world i believe but david you said you would call upon miriam this afternoon thus reminded david sent word by mrs brownlee that he would call later in the day mrs simmons and mr rothwell took margaret under their care leaving him to walk with mary it was an opportunity that he had craved and he eagerly seized upon it I seem to myself, he said, to have lived a hundred years since I saw you last, and to have passed through experiences that have all but wrecked me. You have borne the same, yet your face does not indicate it. What have you to say to me? There is nothing to be said, she answered with the quietest of smiles. We have only to wait, wait and trust. I do not pretend to understand anything, but I am sure that he does then you do not feel that we were mistaken, deceived, that all is lost? Mr. Holman! Deceived in him! I do not mean just that, he said quickly. I mean, have we not strangely misunderstood him and indulged in hopes that were not justifiable? No, undoubtedly we do not understand him fully, but the hopes we have he has inspired. "'and he is to be trusted implicitly until he explains to us.' "'But,' said David, with an uncontrollable tremor in his voice, "'the grave has closed over him.' "'So it did over my brother, Mr. Holman.' "'I know, but—' She interrupted him, speaking firmly. "'No, I cannot talk with you if you speak in that way. "'There are no buts in unwavering faith.' How long he means to let the grave claim him I do not know. That he is alive we surely know. Thus much faith we have for our ordinary friends whose bodies are buried out of our sight. That he is planning and controlling our lives to-day I do not doubt any more than I doubt my own existence. What the immediate future may have for us we must wait and see. Can you not trust him? There was a minute's silence, then he said firmly, Yes, I can. Thank you, Miss Rothwell. I needed your faith to supplement mine. I felt like one lost in the dark and dizzy. After that, he thought of his appointment with Miriam Brownlee with increasing discomfort. What could be said to her about these thoughts that filled his mind? Meantime, he was thankful that Margaret had at last been brought within reach of Mary Rothwell's influence. She had changed in the few weeks that they had been separated, or else she was showing another phase of her nature. The light mocking laugh that she had caught from Miriam was not once heard that afternoon. She was in the library with Mr. Rothwell for nearly an hour before dinner, and seemed to be listening with keen interest to what he was telling her. Would he be likely at this time to talk at length upon any subject, save one? David hoped a great deal from this visit, and was the more encouraged because margaret chose to remain and accompany the rothwells to evening service instead of walking back with him when he went to keep his appointment with miriam it seemed to him that no one could be under the influence of mary rothwell even for a single day without being made better because of it end of chapter twenty six